So you can see the title for today uh, is really talking about our position in Christ. We've been going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you've not been here and uh, you're just here today for the first time, uh, we've been through the book of Ephesians and we're really thinking about uh, what God has to say to us through that. Uh, the book of Ephesians is in kind of like two parts, chapters one to three, which is more kind of the teaching of the church and it's more theological in nature. And then chapters uh, four to six, which are more about how we should act as the church, as Christians. But today I wanted to just focus for a little while uh, on this whole thing about our position in Christ. You know, it might be useful just at the start to think about our position uh, generally. Um, how, how do we position ourselves? And uh, from my observations, I think we kind of we kind of become aware of each other's position in life in relation to ourselves. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are some people you meet and you think you're kind of like they're way up there. It's like I can never be that person. And then there are other people you meet and you think, I'm glad I'm not down where they are. Is it, or is it only me that thinks that? Okay, we, we try not to think that way. But there, there seems to be this kind of unspoken hierarchy and it kind of infiltrates every area of life and society. Um, you know, the, the, the whole idea, though, of, of a hierarchy might actually just be a load of nonsense uh, because at the end of the day, we're all people. Uh, we're all uh, God's creation, um, and God is looking to interact with each and every one of us. You know, I remember clearly from the times when I worked in Mitsubishi, uh, just of this whole kind of hierarchy thing uh, and people trying to, to be above other people. It happened all the time. And there were some people... Um, one of my colleagues actually who started uh, on the same day as me, one of his favorite things was to try and make himself above other people by making them feel rubbish about themselves. He did it all the time. It was not, not a good way uh, for him to go about things. And I, I really struggled with that for a long time. Um, and I remember praying about that, you know, a good number of years in. Uh, he started the same day as me. And uh, I'd been praying about this and thinking, you know, I was kind of like asking God to do something with him. But the funny thing was that God did something with me. And he gave me a real freedom in that, which were being said. Actually, they just... Be so that the things which were kind of like hanging over me, all these negative things which were being said, actually, they just became something that bounced off. And, uh, you know, he was no longer above me. Uh, he was just another guy. And when he started his nonsense, I would just laugh. And he would go, oh, that's not working anymore. And, and it all just kind of stopped and changed. <laughs> Sorry, can't hold my drink. But there's that kind of jostling for position in life, and we see it all over the place. Um, some people have position and abuse it. Um, some people, you know, are, are wanting to climb the company ladder. If you're in the workplace, if that's what you do week by week, you'll, you'll come across people who just want to get the, the next promotion and, and, and get higher up. Um, and, and sometimes, sadly, with some people, they're not really caring too much about who they step on on the way up. Um, but as one person once said, you need to mind who you step on the way up because they, <laughs> you've got to sometimes come back down that ladder. You know, some people don't seem to have any position at all. They feel that they're a nobody. Um, you know, I think about the people that we meet maybe in the street who are homeless and, and who are, uh, you know, they're actually physically lower than, than we are because we're walking past often. And I sometimes think about these people who may feel they have no position in life. Um, 
Then, then we think about the people at the opposite end of the scale, maybe the sportsman or the sportswoman who's at the top of their game. And the, the position that they occupy is because they're the top of the pack. They're the fastest, you know. Uh, they can go faster than other people. They can go longer, higher, you know, whatever it is. You know, sports people who have really trained and by virtue of their own talent and gift and hard work and determination and probably a lot of failure, they get to the top of their game and they have that, they enjoy that position. Uh, maybe, maybe us in our families, we all kind of know where we fit in the family, don't we? Yeah, we've all got families. We're all part of a family. We're all positioned in that family. Um, you know, we're in, in this congregation today here, there's mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, grandparents, aunties, uncles. We all have a position in our family. We all occupy different uh, positions. And a lot of that is dependent our, on our relationships with others in our family. Um, you know, in families, there are the people who seem to take on all the responsibility. Do you, have you ever noticed that? There's the people in the family who they, the buck always stops with them. Um, and then there's the other people who, in their families, who don't really seem to carry any responsibility at all, let's be honest. But there are people in our families, and you might be one of those, who carries a weight of responsibility. You have, by the, the virtue of your personality and nature, a position where you carry responsibility. And we might not be conscious of all these things, um, but, but they're kind of there, they're around us. And, uh, you know, some people think uh, that they're the center of the universe. And, and actually, they're not. None of us really are. And it's tempting to think about ourselves as being above other people. You know, that, have you ever heard that saying, the early bird catches the worm? Well, it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. So there's nothing wrong with being second. <laughs> Guys, you're really slow this morning, I hate to say. I'm just kind of testing you to see. We're warming up here, okay? The second mouse gets the cheese, you know what I'm saying now? There's nothing wrong with being second, okay? Our position in relation to others really, in one sense, doesn't matter because there's always going to be people who are above us. There's going to be people who we feel we're on a par with and people who we maybe kind of feel are below where we are. But I want to think this morning about our position in Christ because really, really our position in Christ is a, it's a leveler. It, it kind of makes us all the same in one respect. You know, because we've all been cut from the same cloth, really. We're all Adam's sons and daughters. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, God's perfect standard. So we're, we're all in the same place and we've all benefited from the grace of God. And so let's bear that in mind. Our position in Christ is a result of His grace rather than our gifting. And it's one of the key verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, if you read it. And saved by grace, not of works, so that none of us can boast about it. None of us can say, I earned this position, okay? Now, I could say about me being the senior pastor of the church, I earned this position. I started off at the bottom in this church, and I worked my way up. What a load of nonsense, right? I came in at the church, into this church years and years ago. I remember standing up the back. We had, like, the two blocks of seating, um, and I don't, that extension wasn't even built at that point in time. I remember sitting up the back, standing up the back, 
came into this church for the first time and just worshipping God. And we, we sung a song that I sang for the first time in English. I don't ever sung it in Japanese before. And I was like, oh, so that's what it means. That's great. I love this. And I remember coming into the church and, and just feeling that this is where God wanted me to be and this is where God wanted me to serve. And it was just a case of making myself available to serve in this church. The senior pastor's position isn't the highest job in the church. Just so that we are clear about that. That's not the highest job in the church. But it does carry with it a degree of responsibility. But I want to think more about our position in Christ. The fact that God has saved us and brought us into this family. And I'm going to put up a a little uh, image on the screen which may be helpful, may not. Um, I spoke from Ephesians a number of years ago and I used the example of uh, having a book and I'd passed out names out through the congregation. Um, I remember Alan was one of them, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, and the whole idea was that people came out when I gave them the signal and we opened up the book. I think it was my Bible. And people placed their name in the Bible and we closed the Bible. And I was trying to illustrate that when we come to know Jesus, it's just like that. He is the Word of God. He is the living Word of God. And we, when we come and put our trust in Him, it's like us finding ourselves in Christ, okay? This was about the closest thing I could find as an analogy. We, as people, are, are like, like that little character in that book. And when that book is closed, wherever that book goes, we go. Wherever Christ goes, we go. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing for today, because it's quite a a strange concept to get our heads around. But if you think about it, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. When When we get saved, when we're in Christ, we become part of the body of Christ. The Bible says that in Ephesians that Jesus is the head of the church. Yes? We're still with me? Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. It's his expression in the earth. And it made, me think, it made me think about a physical body. Now, could you imagine me taking my heart out and my heart existing somewhere else other than in here? That would be a problem, wouldn't it? <laughs> could you imagine me taking out my lungs and existing somewhere else other than my body? They wouldn't be helping me to breathe and to speak right now. And just in the same way, we are called to be part of the body of Christ. We are in the body of Christ. So wherever Jesus wants the body to go, that's where it goes. I also thought about how the church has changed over the years. The personnel has changed throughout the years, hasn't it? So the church doesn't consist of the same people that it did 2,000 years ago. We are quite unique in our place and time and in history. We form, if you're a Christian in here anyway today, we form, or wherever Jesus, who's the head of the church, is in the church. And wherever God, or wherever Jesus, who's the head of the church, decides the church should go, into this community where this church was planted 42 years ago, when God decided that's where the church should go, then that's where the church went. And we moved and we gravitated. And this is what happens. This is why my friend Andrew Hepburn went all the way over to work in Asia because he felt that that's what God was saying was his part in the body. 
wherever Jesus is, the body is. They do say, and I'm not an expert in this, but they say that our body kind of regenerates every seven years. Is that right, Elaine? Cell reproduction and stuff like that? <laughs> I've sort of heard. And it's kind, of like, it's kind of like the church. The people that formed the church 2,000 years ago have went on, have died, have went to be with God, and we are the church. It's continually changing. It's continually reproducing and growing, and we want the church to grow here as well. I've not even got to the start of my notes yet. But we're seated in Christ, and it's one of the key teachings that we find out about uh, in Ephesians. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and then we're going to go into chapter 2 and read 10 verses there as well. It says here, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you and my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, we've been singing about that this morning, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We're part of this thing called the church. We have our part to play in it today. And we're part of this incredible inheritance. And it goes on to say in verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. We're thinking about position and people being above and below. Jesus is above everything, past, present, future, whether spiritual or physical. Every power, dominion, every title that can be given. And God placed, verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We need to grasp something here about the church and its purpose on earth. The church isn't just a good idea for Christians to come and gather on a Sunday. The church is a God idea. The church is God's mechanism for reaching into this world and making this world a different place, for bringing God's order back into the world. You know, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what we're really praying is that God's kingdom, God's rule, God's authority would come in to every situation in life that we face, that we see around us. I pray, Lord, let your kingdom come amongst us our country's leaders today, those who have responsibility for handling the affairs of this country at this difficult time, a time of division, a time of disunity, a time of bickering, a time where we're divided. Father, we pray that you would come, that your kingdom would come, and Father, that you would have your way 
in our leaders in our country today. Father, that you, despite the chaos, would do something that is part of your plan and purpose to bring stability back into our country today again. And Father, we just pray for spiritual leaders in our country. Father, we pray for the church, Lord, which has been divided in doctrine and teaching. Father, we pray for the church leaders who are divided in their thoughts and ideas and in their hearts towards each other. And Father, we pray that you would bring the church to a place of repentance, to a place of unity, Father, to a place of power and authority once again. And so, Father, we pray for your church that you would just bring your spirit to work in the church for your glory and in Jesus' name. The church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. How does God fill the world? Through his spirit, but also through the church. We are the expression of Christ on earth today. Chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. It's talking about the devil, it's talking about our spiritual enemy. All of us live, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What an incredible passage of Scripture. And I just want to pull out a few thoughts from what we've read this morning and just highlight some key uh, passages. The first one uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, 19 to 20, where we read that the power, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, uh, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. One of the great facts of history is that Jesus rose from the dead. Isn't that incredible? One of the great facts of history, an assertion made by hundreds of eyewitnesses at the time when it could have been contested. It could have been contested by Rome. It could have been contested by the Jews. But it was not contested. At this time, hundreds of people claimed to have met Jesus, to have sat with Jesus, to have talked with Jesus, to have eaten with Jesus, to have prayed with Jesus, and just to be in fellowship with him. One of the great facts of history. See, we forget, and probably most people in the world forget, that it's an uncontested fact. There's more evidence to support the resurrection than there is to come against it. I was watching a program on the TV uh, just the other night about Rome and the rise of Rome and how it was a religious community in so many different ways, even before Christianity came. 
How do we know all that stuff? Because people wrote some books. And we have this information centuries later. But the people whose books are being cited in this program, which has been presented as fact, the books which are being cited are nowhere near in the same league as reliable as the New Testament. The New Testament is the most reliable of ancient writings that we have, these accounts. Jesus was our example. He was the one who went before us. He was raised from the earth, raised from death, and even raised from decay. His body didn't see decay. All that befell us as humanity through Adam's sin, Jesus came and identified with. And though Jesus did not sin, he bore our sin on the cross. I was thinking about this. There there were some things in this passage uh, that made me think about who we are uh, in in terms of our position uh, in life. And I want to just refer to a few things uh, first um, uh, from uh, Genesis. And it says in chapter 2, verse 7, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God created us, and God gave us life. And that life has been sustained throughout generations. God gave us the ability to recreate life, to bring life into the world. And I think that's why this whole thing about sex is so important, is because in amongst all that, in amongst the pleasure and all the stuff that goes on with it, is the ability to create life and to bring life into the world so that this new little person becomes a living being. But Jesus, he experienced their humanity. He was born into this world, not through conceived through the normal process, but conceived by the Holy Spirit. Our position, one if you like, our first position is as a human being. And then God said uh, to the people, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die it's another fact. It's a fact of life. And Jesus experienced this fact for himself. Jesus physically died and he was raised again to life. And then the third thing, although Jesus' body didn't see decay, ours do. In Genesis three seventeen to 19, this is what befell the people of the time. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all your days, all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. There was no thorns and thistles before the fall. How good would that have been? No need for your weed killer and all the stuff. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat food uh, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It's one of the realities of life. It's where we are in life. However, as I said earlier, Jesus' body, physical body, did not see decay. Jesus was raised on the third day through God's power. And the resurrected Christ, the resurrected Jesus, is now sitting in heaven at God's right hand. There is a man in heaven. Something has changed when Jesus came to earth. We call it the incarnation when he was born into human existence, when he lived, when he died, when he rose, when he ascended into heaven, something changed forever in heaven that we have this man in heaven called Jesus who is our 
advocate. And we have all the access to the benefits of salvation because Jesus came to give us life. One of my favorite verses in the scriptures is John 10.10, that God has come to give us life in all its fullness. Some of you look like you need a wee injection of that life just now. (laughs) Life in all its fullness. Incredible. And yet we get caught in the lower things of life. Goes on to say in Ephesians 2 6, then God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Our position one, if you like, is as natural people living in a body, but position two is slightly different. We're going to open that up hopefully as we go along. We too have been raised with Christ. We too have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. And Paul reiterates this to the Colossians. Um, If you read Colossians 3, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Not concerned with position one stuff, although we need to take care of that. We need to eat. We need to exercise. We need to sleep. We need to take care of all the position one stuff. But we have to set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Something happened when you became a Christian. You died to your old life and to your old self. That's what baptism symbolizes. It symbolizes that death to the old. And we're raised, when we come up out of the water, into newness of life. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's an eternal future that lies ahead of us. Paul says in Ephesians that you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We're part of a different kingdom. I have a passport that says that I'm British. I have a different passport that says I'm his. It's called the Holy Spirit living within me. And I'm his. And when that day comes and we sing that song, And we stand before him. He'll want to see the passport. And what he'll look for is his own spirit in us. Do we have his spirit living within us? Have you invited the Holy Spirit in? You see, we're raised from death to life. I've been talking about this and alluding to this, that there are two positions that we have. The first one is an earthly position, which is through birth. And the second is a spiritual position, through spiritual rebirth. You know, I've been impacted over the last wee while by the deaths that we've experienced in the fellowship. People who we know and people who we love. And I was just reflecting on all this and it seemed that we went for a long time without this type of stuff happening in the life of the church. That it just seems to have escalated. And it just seems to be in the last number of years that it just seems to have escalated and we've had sad times as a church. There have been times when we've grieved and and we're still kind of at that place as a church where we experience, how can I put it, maybe part of the problem of being in position one is that we need to die physically. And we feel sad when people die and we grieve when people die but the Bible says 
in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because we realize that our position in Christ means that we have an eternal hope, an eternal future, and an eternal destiny. Jesus came into this world and took on flesh and blood. He died, he rose, he was ascended. We have, through birth, taken on flesh and blood, but something has happened within us. There's been that spiritual rebirth, and that's where we get the term born again. I've used this phrase before when I was talking to people about being a Christian. I wouldn't just say I'm a Christian, I would say I'm a born again, I'm a born again Christian. And they go, oh, right, okay, you're one of them. Right? So we know what kind of Christian you are. You're not one of those kind of airy-fairy, namby-pamby ones that just goes to church when he feels like it. You're one of these kind of radical, like, go get him type Christians, okay? And I remember some people who I worked with in Mitsubishi who I later found out were churchgoers and Christians, and they said, oh, I wish I was a wee bit more like you. I'm not boasting, by the way, because I, I know my faults and failings. But something happens when the Holy Spirit comes in. It changes us. And, and we realize that actually there's something about us that's spiritual. It's not bound by the things of earth. But it has its source and connection and reality in heaven itself. There's something about what God is doing that sustains us and gives us life day by day. Not just physically, but spiritually. God wants to come and to give us spiritual life, to breathe spiritual life into us so that we don't get concerned with the things of earth and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. You know the, the hymn, in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth growing strangely dim. When we're focused on Jesus, everything else finds its place. When we're focused on Jesus and worship, and it's one of the things I love about just getting lost in worship, is that the things of earth fall by the wayside. The things which we brought into the church when we came in begin to just fall off of us as we get lost in worship and as we get lost in his presence. One of the most encouraging verses when I'm thinking about this, though, is if you go into 1 Corinthians 15, if you're struggling with these things, then go into 1 Corinthians 15 and read about the resurrection. It's an incredible passage. And I just want to read a little part of it. From 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 to 49, it says, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in power. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. There's going to be a transformation. And that surely gives us hope. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, position one man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Talking about Jesus. It's contrasting life in Adam, the fleshly life, through life in the second Adam, which is Christ. 
The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, this is position one, so are those who are of the earth, that's us. And as is the man from heaven, position two, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That's an incredible encouragement. We know that death is not the end. We know that it's only a transition, that there's a greater aspect to life than what we experience just now. Once we were dead in our sins, it says in Ephesians 1, it says here, I think I've probably got, I may have this on the screen. Um, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Like the first Adam were born into this world, and it's our first and earthly position. And it's that position that Christ came into. Position two, however, Paul goes on to say in the Ephesians that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. We have our part in this second Adam, Christ, who is a life-giving spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we begin to enter into a new reality, all of what God has for us as our Lord and our Savior, as he lives in us. And even though our physical bodies are still subject to decay and earthly things, so in our spirits we are being renewed. The Bible talks about though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day by day by day as we remain in him. If you want to know more about remaining in him, read John chapter 15, which talks about remaining in the vine. You see, God has brought us in, but we need to do some things to remain in him, to be in that position too. We read that Jesus ascended to the Father. I'm not going to talk about that. Um, I want to think just for a few more minutes about being seated above. And Ephesians 1.21 talks about uh, Jesus being far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion in every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And it's an important thought that Paul shares. And we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's us, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus by virtue of our position in Christ, position to people. Those who have accepted Christ, who have been born again, who once were dead in sin, but now have been made alive in Christ. And as such, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You know, some, some people have said in, in the past that some people are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. You've probably heard that saying. And it's always presented as a really negative thing. I think we need to be 
equally as heavenly minded, but know how that works out in this earthly life with people who have no concept of what you believe, no concept of what motivates you, no concept of the fact that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, other than what you show them through your actions and what you tell them through your words. We're seated above, and therefore I think it's good to be heavenly minded. I'm just going to skip on a little bit, um, partly for the sake of time as well, uh, to this last bit here. And that is that Jesus has been made the head over everything. And by us being in the church, we in turn assume a position of responsibility. He's the head of the body and head over everything, every spiritual power, earthly power. So all the struggles that we see in politics just now, in our country and in other countries, he is above all that. And I'm quite sure at any point in time, we'll speak into that and do something about it. Psalm 97 verse 9 says this, for you, O Lord, are high, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. And as I was thinking about this, it made me think about an old song uh, that we used to sing when I was wee. And I found out that it was in the Redemption Tidings, and it was hymn number 73. And it was just kind of like verse and chorus. And this was the chorus. Far above all, far above all, God hath exalted him far above all. Crown him as Lord that his feet humbly fall. Jesus Christ Jesus is far above all. I remember singing that just as a wee guy. Um, if I'd been Josh, I'd have been wearing shorts. Um, but I was too chicken to wear shorts. But just as a wee guy, I remember in church singing this song. Far above all, far above all. God hath exalted him far above all. Crown him as Lord at his feet, humbly fall. Jesus Christ, Jesus is far above all. I can see it rings a bell with a few people. <laughs> and some people are going, what is he talking about? <laughs> Isn't it amazing how the songs that we use in worship become part of who we are? I think it's why it's so important that we sing the right things in church. But I remember just that image and trying to grasp something as a, as just as a, a child, trying to grasp something about Jesus being far above all. You know, God has seated him far above all rule, over all authority, over all power, over all dominion. And we too, as part of the body of Christ and part of God's plan, find ourselves being part of something bigger than we can ever imagine. And it's something not only is it bigger than we can imagine here in Whitburn, you know, this is quite a small congregation compared to some in our world, isn't it? There are congregations, even in Scotland, which are multiple hundreds, thousands. So we're quite small, and we've got about work to do. But we're part of something that's far bigger than we can even begin to imagine, not just for our area here, but think about the church throughout time. Think about the people who have come to hear about the gospel and taken that step of faith and put their trust in Jesus. And somewhere in my past, 
somewhere in my past, and I wish I could do spiritualancestry.com, somewhere in my past there are people who believed this message, who heard it and believed, first church to be established in Europe, we could probably trace it all the way back to there. Our spiritual heritage, our spiritual DNA, we're part of something that's far bigger than we can see. We're part of something that transcends throughout generations and time. And so, as we thought about at the start, we don't need to be jostling for position, right? The church isn't like business, right? It's not like that. We're all part of this thing called the body of Christ. Yes, we have different functions. We have a different part to play. God gifts us in different ways. And sometimes he uses us, it says, in accordance to our faith. So we might be gifted, but the way we use that gift will be in accordance with our faith. And so we need to pray and ask God to allow faith to rise in our hearts. But when it comes to our place in the church, you know, I've thought this verse over the years, but maybe it applies in the church as well. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Coming here on a Sunday morning to be part of the family of God and to worship Him and just to live that way throughout the week and to be content in who God has created us to be is a powerful, powerful thing. We don't need to be striving to be like the other guy, like the other girl, like the person who we think is really gifted and talented. God has made us to be who we are. Think about Zebedee's wife. She had two boys, James and John. And she came to Jesus and she said, how about when you come into your kingdom that one sits on your left and one sits on your right? And Jesus says, well, it's not up to me to make those decisions, but I don't actually think you know what you're asking for. And what Jesus was referring to was the people who would be on his right, his left. That's my right, but you're left. You know what I'm saying? Two men crucified at the same time as Jesus. You see, if we want to think about our position in Christ, in one sense we're all equal. But if we want to think about position in the church in relation to our function, we need to recognize what Jesus said when he washed the disciples' feet, that the person who gets alongside and serves, who takes the lowest position, is the person who takes the highest position. You see, most of us don't want to have that low position. Most of us want to be served rather than to be the servant. Because who knows, being a servant isn't a lot of fun, is it? Having to do all the work and do all the dishes and mop the floors and do all this stuff. Man, isn't there something about that that's maybe actually serving other people? And is actually glorifying to God if we approach it with the right attitude. I'm just finishing, honest. I know I said that five minutes ago. But often I think it's easy to kind of wonder what it's all about because we get consumed with position one. Position one is the flesh and blood position. And sometimes the body, especially when it's not well, is just screaming out for attention. It's screaming out for another couple of anodin extra or paracetamol or whatever is your drug of choice. Legal drugs, of course. This is a church. <laughs> and the body can dictate so much to us. We're, 
we're body, soul, and spirit, but the body can dictate so much to us, and we can become, we can become consumed with our earthly position. I think we can be consumed with these things when we go through difficult times as a church, and when we experience loss, and when we feel the pangs of pain that that brings. But we need to remember that we're not only position one people, we're position two people, our heavenly position. Yes, we need to remember that we're flesh and blood, and I do think we need to look after the body that God has given us. That's another sermon. But, super, but our position one is superseded by position two, because this is earthly, temporary, position two, the spiritual person is eternal and will last through eternity. The Bible talks about us being raised into newness of life. The first position is in relation to the first Adam. Our second position is the second Adam, which is Christ Jesus himself. He is the one who gives us life. He is the one who sustains us, the church. And it's through part of this incredible thing called the body of Christ, the church. And it's through the church that God is revealing his plans and purposes into this world. I encourage you to think about how you fit into all that. Think about how you serve in all of that. Whether it's here in this church, in your family, in your workplace, God has called you as a Christian to be part of this incredible thing that he is doing. And so I encourage you to get into that, get involved in that, get God's heart on that, know what he's asking you to do, and just be obedient to the thing that he's telling you to do. That might be something simple today, this week, you don't know. But just stick into the thing that God is calling you to do.